Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow, And I'm Jesse Spur. And welcome to another episode of Five Things. And today we're joined by Liz Lupchen, who's the Clinical Nurse Consultant for Stonewall Therapy here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. Good morning. Great to have you here because I remember when I started nursing and I was like terrified of stomas, more just because I didn't feel like I had any knowledge about them. So this is going to be a really fun episode. <laughs> so I wouldn't imagine you kind of started nursing going, I'm going to end up in a specialised stomal therapy role. Am I right? Or has this been a point of desire ever since the start? Uh, no, not really. I um, It's actually my 20th anniversary of nursing this year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So I um, got a job um, straight out of uni. So I started on a colorectal surgical ward um, and I dealt with a lot of people that have had stomas. Um, I saw the most amazing stomal therapy nurses do their job that were amazing mentors to me. Um, Val Wright and Shirley Jones, they were amazing. Um, They had such a great rapport with the patients. Um, They had such great autonomy. They could, um, you know, come in and see the patients when and how often they wanted to. Um, and I think they just really increased the patient's quality of life. Um, I started doing holiday relief in their department and I did my graduate certificate in stomal therapy in 2007 and things just flowed from there. Um, I think stomal therapy is an absolutely amazing career. I love it. Um, I heard one of the other podcasters, um, I think that one of the diabetes educators said, saying that, um, you know, those jobs are really hard to come by because people just stay in their jobs and I think stomal therapy is one of those jobs as well. Um, There are some stoma nurses that have been in their jobs for decades because it's just such an amazing um, career. We get to be part of people's journeys from start to finish. Um, We can have such an impact on people's quality of life. Um, We um, are such a part of people's journeys. We learn about people's lives, we learn about their family, we become part of their journey. Um, I know people or patients that still call us after, um, you know, 17 years that I've been a stoma nurse. Mm. Um, We still keep in touch, you know, they'll still ring us, ask us questions um, and I know all about their life, their journey. Um, I'm a people person so that that really suits me really well Um, and I love making a difference to people's quality of life even just with a simple simple change of somebody's appliance or, or, you know, giving them some hints and tips. Sometimes that's all that's needed. I love the passion that we hear often, you know, with people like yourself. It's not just that the work is interesting or it suits people's lifestyle. It sort of becomes like a vocation, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. I, I, I really love it. And 
to begin with, you know, stoma nursing fascinated me because I thought, how the hell can people put a bit of bowel on the outside of the skin and how does that work? And you put a bag over it and, you know, all the little intricacies as I, as I got, you know, more qualified, um, but how does that how does that work? And people live everyday lives with these things. Um, so that fascinated me to begin with. And then just there's just a whole other realm of of you know the the, the person aspect of of the job. Um, beautiful. So that's going to take us, I think, beautifully to your five points. Um, and I do think this will be a real episode of curiosity because I do think most people are like stomas. What on earth? So your number one is what is a stoma? And reasons for stoma forming surgery. So what is a stoma? So a stoma um, is created when um, patients need to have part or all of their bowel removed or part of their bladder or all of their bladder removed. Um, And a surgeon will bring a portion of their bowel up to the surface of their skin. This is very basic, obviously. Um, And a patient would wear a bag over the top of that little bit of bowel um, to collect the bowel motion. So once you've got a stoma, your faeces comes out externally into a bag. That's right. Or urine. Or urine. All in the bag. That's right. Wow. Stomas can be permanent or temporary as well. So if that stoma then is reversed, then you obviously would continue to go to the toilet the same way. Yeah. And so why on earth, like how how do you come to get a stoma? Uh, there are so many different reasons. The top reason usually is for cancer. So um, many different types of cancers. So usually either colorectal cancers or um, urological cancers. Plus then you've got um, gynae oncological cancers. So people that have ovarian cancers that may have invaded into the, um, into the bowel or bladder. Um, and then you've got um, gynae conditions such as endometriosis as well that may have invaded into these are severe cases that have invaded into the bowel. Um, then you've got irritable bowel disorders. So I'm sure everyone's probably heard of the disorders like um, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, um, inflammatory bowel condition, conditions. Um, Crohn's is an autoimmune disorder as well that causes, um, you know, severe diarrhea. Um, stricturing of the bowel. So I'm sure people are sick of me saying this, but I came from peds and we used to see lots of children with congenital issues. Is it Hirschsprung's? Um, you know, a number of those issues where babies would start out almost from birth with stomas. That's right, yeah. So lots of congenital abnormalities, things like where babies are born with the organs on the outside of their body. Um, we've got a condition called imperforate anus where babies aren't born with an anus or the anus is actually closed over. So they may need to have a stoma temporarily um, while um, the surgeon can correct that. Um, there's conditions such as diverticulitis um, where people develop pockets in their large bowel. Those pockets become inflamed and you can perforate your bowel um, if, you know, you get a severe inflammation or infection. How common is it that you would get a stoma following a trauma? Quite common. So really? If you've been involved in a motor vehicle accident, uh, seatbelt injuries um, to your abdomen, um, there's certain cases of trauma to the rectum and anus. Um, we've had some patients have sporting injuries where they've fallen the wrong way on hockey sticks. Oh, wow. Um, also things like childbirth. So if you sustain a really severe fourth degree tear, 
you may need to have a stoma for a short period of time while that tears healing. Oh, wow. If you could see my face at the moment, I'm going, oh. Um, and so, like, what proportion of patients, and this might be impossible to answer, but what proportion of patients would have a stoma reversed and how many people then, like how many people in our community would be living permanently with a stoma? So roughly there's about 50,000 people in Australia that have a stoma at one time, but you're right, um, stomas are temporary and are permanent um, and I, I I don't know those numbers unfortunately, but... Um, yeah, I'm fascinated by this. Jesse can't even get a word in. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's terrific. All right, so your number two is types of stomas. And I've got to admit, I don't think I realised you could have a stoma for urinary. Yes. Conditions. Hmm. Yes, you so can. So tell us a little about types of stomas. So there are basically three main types of stomas. So stomas are actually named according to their location. So um, they often have the suffix um, ostomy at the end of it. So a colostomy would be from the colon. Iliostomy would be from the ileum or the small bowel. Urostomy is a urine stoma. Um, so a urine stoma can actually also be called in what we call an ileal conduit or a colonic conduit. So where they make the conduit, which is basically conduit's a word for pipe. They use a little bit of the bowel as a pipe, um, either the small bowel, which would be the ileum, or the colon, the colonic conduit, um, to deliver the urine outside the body. They use that little bit of piping. Um, They make a stoma on the outside of the body with one end of the pipe and then they implant the ureters into that little bit of bowel. That's usually when they've had to remove the bladder. So an ostomy is basically any internal pipe that's brought to to communicate with the outside of the body, isn't it, in crudely? So like tracheostomy... Colostomy, hundred percent, ileostomy. So it's named with the starting root of the internal pipe that's, that's right. diverted to the outside. Yeah, so you'd have um, a stoma of, of any part of the small bowel. So a duodenostomy, um, jejunostomy. So, um, and it depends where those stomas are, um, or those ostomies are, as to how they work as well. So. Um, different types of stomas work differently or put out different outputs. Obviously, a urine stoma is always going to put out urine. So whether it be a colonic conduit or an ileal conduit, a urostomy puts out urine. So a colostomy, depending on where it is in the large bowel, so you've got different parts of your large bowel. So if it's in the transverse colon, the bowel motion will be a little bit more fluidy. If it's down further in the large bowel, so from the sigmoid colon, the bowel motion is almost about ready to come out. So it's going to be like a nice sort of normal bowel motion. With an ileostomy, it's a little bit different because it's from the small bowel. So you'd have fairly watery sort of, um, so maybe a thick fluid output um, that usually is about a litre in a 24-hour period of, of fluid coming out of there. Further up in the small bowel, you're going to have a really watery output and a really sort of high output as well. So a few litres per day. Um, and those those considerations need to be um, – there's considerations um, when those patients have that much output coming out of their stoma. I think this takes us perfectly into your number three, things to know about stomas. And I guess um, – this would not be the first time on this podcast I've said, you know, I've got a real pooing phobia, like I, I need complete quiet, you know, silence. And I'm really curious, like, 
So when you have a stoma, do you still have wind? Like do you still have noise that would come out? Definitely, yep. So you still fart like everyone else. So you've, you're farting from your stomach. That's right, yep. So like obviously I would never do this, but say you're in a meeting, like, you know, you can feel like if you've got wind you can clench your buttocks or whatever. What on earth do you do if you've got a stoma? Yeah, unfortunately there's not much you can do. It may just come out. So um, will it make a noise? Cough, cough to come your fart. <laughs> That's true. Like, like so but it makes a event. noise still, like a farty noise? It does, yeah. So particularly when the stoma is new, it may make um, sort of louder noises because the bowel can be a little bit swollen. But as the stoma settles down, usually the noises are a little bit more quieter. Once you've got your pouch on, your clothing over the top of it, um, it is a little bit more discreet. Usually I just tell patients to be a little bit careful about what they're eating if they're going to go somewhere special and they don't want to be really noisy. So yep. you have to be careful of those foods that cause um, gas, so yeah. onions, cabbage, you know, all those things that, that give you awful gas. Yeah. yeah. But you do still make a noise, unfortunately. Wow. And so you were just saying it depends where, you know, the which part of the bowel as to how what's excreted, like whether it's fluidy or it's, you know, formed. But but like what are you saying? Like is it is it could it come out like if you were wearing something tight, you would might be able to see there's something in the bag. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, they're really discreet under your clothing actually. Okay. So they sit really nicely under the under your clothing. No one will know that you've actually got one unless yep. you flash your belly at people or tell people. And I think that's really important that people know that um, they don't have to tell people if they don't if they don't want to. Yeah. Um, we have some amazing garments that people sometimes wear over the top of their stomas to keep things discreet under your clothing. But um, we also, um, before patients have surgery, we make a little mark. We call it pre-op sighting. So we make a little mark on people's tummies to show the doctors where the best spot to put the stoma is. And that's patient focused because it's really important that patients can see where their stoma is, but we also try and avoid where people usually wear their clothing as well or something. We put the stoma where we think it's going to suit best with people's clothing because you still need to wear what you want to wear. Um, yeah. And so when you've got a stoma, do you still feel, you know, like if I had to do, a, if I need to poo a wee, I can feel that, I need, I know. Do you still get that sensation? You know something's going to be excreted or you just feel it once it comes out. That's right. So you don't have that urge. Um, the bowel actually has no nerve endings in it. So we would it'd feel pretty yucky if we could feel our bowels working all day, every day. It'd just be, it'd be the weirdest, the weirdest feeling. But um, people don't know when their the bowels are going to go. Um, it will just come out when it needs to. Um, some people will feel the pouch getting heavier mm -hmm. as it fills. Um, some people with a colostomy that sort of they've got a, maybe got a sigmoid colostomy that's down in the sigmoid colon. It's just about ready to come out. Some people have a really natural bowel habit. So me, I go to the toilet every single morning after my coffee, that's me. Um, and I've, that's my really strong bowel habit. Some people that have that bowel habit may find that their stoma naturally works, their colostomy works back into that bowel habit every oh. every day at that time that they would usually go. So some people just will get that that pattern back um, with an ileostomy, no, unfortunately, and maybe higher up in the large bowel as well, you may not. Um, but, yeah. So interesting. So it'll work exactly the same as, as your gut, like, you know, if you ate a really hot curry or something that 
might be more likely to make you go more frequently, it, that it's still going to work the same. That's right. If those foods don't um, usually give you, you know, issues. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. I think people should know that as well, that diet shouldn't be affected as well. So most people can eat the foods that they would normally eat. Um, your diet doesn't have to change dramatically. Um, we always say that if you, if food, if particular foods affect you, then avoid those foods. Um, but your diet really shouldn't have to be too affected. When you do have an ileostomy, you need to be a little bit careful of some foods that can block an ileostomy. Those foods are really long, stringy, fibrous foods, but generally you can pretty much eat whatever you used to like to eat as long as it doesn't, it hasn't affected you in the past. This might be a dumb question, but I'd, I'd imagine you can still get a, a gastrovirus even though you've got a stoma. In that case, are you just literally, you'd be changing your bag more frequently? That's right. Yeah. So um, definitely you, your output would be the same as if, if you're going to the toilet normally. So you'd be very watery and, and having to either empty or change your bag very frequently. Yeah. Okay. One thing I know that people are always worried about is the smell. Um, what what's your experience? What's the advice you give your pa- patients who are having a new formation of a stoma? So um, stomas, while you've got a bag over the top of it, there's no smell. So people can't smell you. Um, you can go about your everyday activities, do your shopping without worrying that people are going to, one, see your stoma or smell you as well. That's a really big concern that people have. Um, obviously, when you go to change the bag or empty the bag, you're going to have a smell. It's just like doing a poo, but not while you're, you know, wearing your bag when it's not open. Um, you're not going to smell it. Yeah. All right. So I've got one last curious question. Sorry, I'm very curious about this whole subject. So if I've got a stoma and I'm out in public and I need to use a public toilet, is the bag like a one use it once and then you flush the whole thing away? Does someone empty the contents of the stoma into the toilet and then put the – like how does it all work? Yeah, so um, it depends on the type of of stoma that you've got to what bag you would wear. So with an ileostomy, a small bowel stoma, the bowel motion obviously is going to be a little bit more frequent and and fluidy. So you would wear a bag that you empty into the toilet. So – um, you would just empty that straight over the top of the toilet and roll the bag back up. Um, with a colostomy, the bag that you would wear for that, because the bowel motion's more firm, if you had to change that while you're out, it doesn't have an opening at the bottom. So the patient would just take that off, throw it away. We just use a little plastic bag, like a nappy sack bag that they'd pop that into, um, clean and dry their skin and pop a, a fresh bag on. Okay. And so, like, how how big is the bag? You know, if, if, if our listeners have never seen a stoma, you know, is it your whole stomach? Is it the size of your hand? Like, how, how big a bag, how intrusive is it, is a bag? They're very discreet. So, they're probably, you're right, probably about the size of your hand. I'm just looking at my hand now. Probably about the size of your hand. Um, to be honest, there are so many different types of bags. We've got um, what we call a one-piece or a two-piece bag. Um, and I won't go too much into that because I could talk about that forever. But there are so many different types. Um, since I've done stomal therapy nursing, the advancements in bags um, over the last 17 years have just um, gone gangbusters. We have pouches that have the adhesives in the back of the bag that actually stick them to your, to your tummy. Um, we've got ones that have aloe vera in them, manuka honey, 
ceramides. The companies take a lot of time in developing these products to make them comfortable for patients to be able to wear these every day. People need to continue their everyday life. They need to be able to work, play, um, have fun, do their sport. Yeah, so can, I, I, that, I do have another question. Sport and swimming, like particularly swimming, like how do you go swimming if you have a stoma? So all of the bags are waterproof. Yeah. So you definitely can go swimming. You should be able to swim and know that your bag won't come off. Um, We have um, a number of patients that work in very water-orientated jobs. I had a patient who um, was a tour guide over on Morton Island. He was in and out of the water. Had a young girl who was a professional surfer um, with a stoma. So, um, yeah, you, you... feel confident that the bags are all the adhesives are absolutely amazing so they, so they it, stay on it sticks to the skin does sticks it sticks to the skin yeah, yeah over right. the top of the stoma yeah right fantastic all right so your number 4 is stoma appliance scheme and stats like i'd imagine this is an expensive you know surgery to have and then to purchase the bags costs a lot of money how do patients navigate all of that yeah, so um, a lot of people, one of their first questions of, you know, when, when we're talking to them before their surgery is usually um, how much is this going to cost me? Because yeah. you look at the bags and you think, oh, wow, they look so expensive. Um, basically, patients get all of their bags for free um, funded through Medicare under a, something called the Stone Appliance Scheme. So patients pay an annual membership fee to join a, an association um, they're joined to their close, closest association. There are roughly six associations in Queensland and then obviously more throughout Australia. So we'd join them to an association. They'd pay an annual membership fee, which is usually between $65 to $75 per year. Financial Not terrible, year. yeah. No. Um, and then they can pick their supplies up for free or um, have them posted to them at a postage and handling cost. So apart from your bag, what other things do people with a stoma need? Um, So there's lots of different types of accessories that people can have that are funded through the Stoma Appliance Scheme. Um, So you can have um, belts and seals which help to protect the skin. You've got remover wipes, cleansing wipes, barrier wipes. Also people that have stomas may be at a little bit of a high risk of developing a hernia. So we have some amazing hernia prevention garments that they can get through the association. So these help to prevent hernias when patients are doing their exercises, but also they offer some discretion and support for patients as well. So I'm a bedside nurse. I have a patient who is ill or has had an accident, you know, is in hospital for reasons that have nothing to do with their stoma, but they have a stoma. Uh, Is there anything that I need to consider with regards to assisting people with washing or medications or mobility? Is there anything as a bedside nurse I need to take into consideration because of the stoma? Um, I think it's important that patients, um, you understand that patients are unwell. So sometimes they may be self-caring or obviously they're self-caring with their stoma. But when you're unwell, may not be able to carry out those cares. So it's really important that um, offer to offer assistance um, to patients that may need help. They're probably going to be able to tell you how to do their, their appliance change um, products as well. So you need to make sure that they've got their products that they usually have, get one of their relatives to bring them in if they don't have them. With regards to medications, um, with a colostomy, um, 
things should be absorbed in the normal way. Um, with an ileostomy, that may be a little bit different. So you need to be a little bit careful about some of the medications that patients are given. So maybe things like slow-release medications. Um, and you may need to talk to the pharmacist about um, what sort of um, medications patients are taking. If they're slow-release, they may not be absorbed um, particularly well. Um, so things like um, the output as well, you've got to be a little bit careful Um with an ileostomy, you need to make sure that the patient's output is at a reasonable amount as well so that they're not at risk of dehydration. So just keeping an eye on their fluid balance is really important, making sure they're not having too much come out of their ileostomy. That's really important. I think asking them what their output's normally like as well, more so than even other patients that don't have them, we don't need to know with such great specificity, but because of the variety of different high, low, moderate output stomas and even with minimal difference in the placement, people's stomas can function differently, can't they? That's right. And I suppose with colostomates, I suppose it's important because you want to make sure that people aren't getting constipated too. So, you know, those medications that people take um, for pain relief, if they're on, you know, opiates for pain relief, you know, those medications can cause constipation. So make sure that they're on a a regular aperion if they need to as well Mm. for that. So I've been dying to get to your number five because it's psychological considerations, you you know, we need to have for people with a stoma. I would imagine that this is quite a confronting, you know, thing to have happen to a person. Can you talk us through like some of the major concerns and things that we can do as healthcare professionals to look after people who may require a stoma? Definitely. So this is a huge factor in patients' lives. Um, You know, when a patient's first dealt with um, the possibility of having a stoma, they're not only dealing with the fact that they've got to have a stoma, which is huge. You try and put yourself into patient's shoes when you think about this. If I was going to have a stoma, you know, even though I have lots of knowledge about them, it would be a real worry for me. Um, Not only are they dealing with that, they're also usually dealing with a diagnosis of cancer or irritable bowel disease, or why have the, the whole reason that they're having the stoma for in the first place. Um, patients have huge fears about how it's going to change their relationships, their body image. Um, there is so much stigma around stomas, so much stigma about around poo and yeah. elimination. Like not only just stomas but poo. We don't talk about how we poo. No. It's a private thing. We go into the toilet, do it privately. No one... We don't, it's not a dinner conversation. Um, stomas. Ten-year-old boys talk about how they poo. That, I can definitely do that. Actually, yes, I know that. <laughs> I have an eight-year-old who talks about poo all the time. <laughs> I'm about to go overseas and I've got to tell you there's a lot of poo conversations going on in our house because <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like an animal that goes away to die when poo's I need complete quiet. <laughs> Sharing a hotel room terrifies me. So, you know, we're laughing about this but I imagine this has – such massive consequences for people psychologically. It really does. You know, particularly it depends on your support structure as well, your culture, um, how you deal with this. So, you know, if your family aren't supportive, um, if they've got a lot of stigma around stomas, um, people can experience a range of emotions. So things like loneliness, they don't feel like they're being supported. Um, They're fearful that people are going to be able to see the bag. They're fearful that they're going to be able to hear it, like we were talking about farting before. Um, They're so fearful that the the bag's going to leak, which is a real concern. Yeah. 
Can I, I – there's a question – two questions I'm really curious about this. So, you know, a lot of clothes at the moment are cut out for women, you know, like they're, they're cut out around the waist. Um, you know, how, how much does it impact your fashion choices and how much does it impact your sexual identity and your ability to be sexually active? It shouldn't affect your um, ability to be sexually active depending on the type of surgery you've had. Um, psychologically, obviously, that can really play a big part in people's um, body image. Um, so that can play a huge part in your sexuality. So a loss of relationships, a loss of your sexuality, particularly if your partner's not on board or not um, supportive as well. Um, so it's so, so, so important for patients to have such a supportive, strong network of people around them that are supporting them and, in, in, you know, and understand what, what they're going through. Um, as a part of our job, it's really important to educate not only the patient but their family as well so they have understanding to be able to support. Um, but people can have sex with a stoma. You can um, – Do you leave the stoma on? You do. The bag. The bag. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know like do you ever clip it and not have it on? Like it's it's on 24-7. It's on all the time. So, yeah, patients um, may feel more comfortable um, during intimate activities to um, where we always say, you know, maybe wear a nice negligee to cover the, cover the bag. There's some amazing bags out there now. We've got black bags, which um, I had a lady recently choose this because she thought this is going to really help her, her sex life. Yeah. It was a lovely black bag. Um, but yeah, you can cover it with a negligee. It's really important that patients have had a conversation with their partner, maybe empty the bag before they're, you know, about to, you know, be active. Be active. Yep. Um, so yeah, but psychologically, um, it can be a real struggle for patients. Yeah. It's just important that we as nurses support patients um, and involve patients' families in any education that we're giving to them so that they have the understanding and knowledge. I had a, I had a man ask me the other day, I think his wife was so embarrassed in, in pre-admission clinic, um, you know, had asked me about sex, whether he could still have sex with his wife, whether that was okay, but his wife just looked at him and I just thought, no, that's – I, I tried to make them feel comfortable. I said, no, that's a normal question. That's a, a normal part of everyday life and, yes, you can. Mm. Um, it's it's totally okay. You're not going to hurt. Probably not every day if you're married. <laughs> <laughs> can – can you um, get pregnant and, and carry a baby successfully if you've got a stoma? Definitely. Yep. So um, obviously that would depend again on the surgery that you've had. So some of these surgeries are quite involved and they involve the removal of uterus and ovaries. So um, no in those cases, obviously, but if those organs haven't been touched, um, also medications can affect your fertility as well. So people that may have had longstanding irritable bowel disorders may have been on, on medications that can affect your fertility, but the stoma itself won't stop you from getting pregnant. And I have had many patients that have carried babies, many babies successfully to term and, um, yeah. Hmm. I found a, a really good rapport building thing is just saying to the patient, um, how, do you, how do you refer to your stoma? Like, do you call it a stoma or and like the amazing amount of things that come out especially sort of older men will often have some really funny names for their stomas and it's a great 
that immediate rapport builder because you've shown interest in them as a person but also uh, like recognise as part of their life and they own it. Mm, yeah. That's so true. We've I've had some funny names people call their stomas. Tigger, friend of poo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I like that one. But it's a it's a massive rapport builder, isn't it? It when really you know, is. What, what do you call it? And people seem look a bit shocked, and then they go, oh, "Actually, yeah, I call it this, mm. and my my family calls it this, and we've all got nicknames for it." That's right. It's part of the acceptance process, yeah. I think. You know, not everyone wants to name their stoma though, and that's okay. You know, but um, yeah, it is part of the acceptance pro pro process. Yeah. Mm. Are there professional associations or something that people can get involved with if, if you've got a stoma? Definitely. So there are so many supportive groups out there. We used to have an amazing support group called the Brisbane Ostomate Support Visitor Service where if a patient was really struggling with a stoma, they could actually talk to someone um, living with a stoma. Um, we'd actually get patients um, or, or that person to come and visit the patient in hospital sometimes because it was a really nice way of the patient being able to see a person dressed with oh, their yeah. stoma so they could yeah. see that you can't actually see it. Um, and they would talk to their the, the person as, you know, talk to them about daily life, what they do, that they, you know, they live a normal life with their stoma. And I think that was an amazing support there are some amazing online support groups as well. So Crohn's and Colitis have an amazing support group as well online. There's lots of chat groups online for patients to have. Um, there's support groups available through the association. Um, obviously, we are always available for patients. So um, our department um, will always offer an email or a phone contact if, if patients need us. Um, some of the companies as well, they offer offer really good support um, groups as well. So they'll offer programs that we can join patients up to and those patients will get regular phone calls from somebody in a call centre just to make sure that they're managing okay. Um, we have to be really careful with these sometimes um, knowing that it's not a registered nurse giving advice but they will always refer back to us. They're, they're really involved in um, emailing us and sending emails back to us um, to make sure that we know what the, what the patient's going through and if they need us, they will always refer back to us as well. And just recognising that this podcast is worldwide, um, that would be really stock standard, I'm imagining, for any big hospital that there'd be a stomal therapist and that there would be, you know, Facebook support groups and associations in whatever country people are living in. Oh, definitely, definitely. And um, I think the advent of social media, I mean, people can say a lot of negative things about social media these days, but... Social media for ostomates, I think, has been absolutely amazing. There are some amazing influencers um, that have stomas that oh, wow. um, really have brought on a positive life about having a stoma. Um, and the fact that you can do anything with a stoma. I follow a, a girl on Instagram who's a pole dancer with oh. a stoma and absolutely amazing. Um, and just blowing away, I guess, all those stereotypes bec by being able to wear, you know, lingerie or whatever she wears while she's doing pole dancing. That's right. That's right. I follow another girl who's, you know, um, had a long battle with um, irritable bowel disease and she's out there on the beach in her bikinis wearing her stoma out and proud. So I think it's really nice for patients facing stoma surgery to see those, those people living their normal life, not afraid of their stoma, um, yeah, just out and proud and, and, and loving life and... I mean, everyone's stoma journey is so different and not everyone is going to be like that. Um, 
people will adapt the way they're going to adapt, hopefully with a lot of support and all of those support things that I've spoken about. Um, but having all of those things in place I think is really important um, and seeing that people can live normal lives is really important. All right. So I'm going to have a go at summarising all things stomas. So your number one was what is a stoma and reasons for stoma forming surgery? And I guess what I heard is that they can be bowel or urinary and that there are kind of four pathways to getting a stoma. One may be congenital. Another big one is cancer, trauma or inflammation. Number two is types of stomas and they are named for the location on on where you've had the, the surgery. So we've got a colostomy, an ileostomy or a urostomy and all of that. And I guess the whole idea is, is that when you've had damage to either your bowel or your bladder, the it's you've got to think it's like a little pipe is then of the organ is pulled out into the skin and then the stoma is the actual excretion point. Excretion point. Yep. Okay. Two. So thing number three is things to know about stomas. And I guess the big take home here is people can live a completely normal life with a stoma. Um, that they, The biggest concerns for people are usually about smell or noise. However, these bags are extreme, extremely discreet. They sit close to the skin and that people should be able to live a completely normal life. If you have a patient who has a stoma, the main thing is to see that patient, I guess, as the expert, ask them how that they, the nurse or the healthcare professional can help with the stoma, um, to be considerate of medications and also fluid output, particularly if they've got an ileostomy. Number four is the stoma appliance scheme. Um, you were saying there are 50,000 people across Australia currently living with a stoma. Anyone who has a stoma in Australia um, is eligible under Medicare to uh, belong to this appliance scheme and then they get all of their products that they require for free after paying a standard fee. For people who live outside of Australia, um, I'm sure that there are many other services that can help and reach out to your you know, local stoma therapist or speak to your healthcare professional. Number five is the psychological considerations of a stoma. And I think this is something that can't be underestimated. Uh, people who end up with a stoma are living with something else, cancer, you know, irritable bowel disease, endometriosis, a trauma. So they've already had one huge thing that they've had to cope with emotionally and then they're going on to have a stoma and people are very worried about it their identity, their sexuality, uh, whether or not they're going to continue to engage in normal life. And I guess what I really heard is the main thing is, is we've really got to support people with stomas. We've got to encourage and educate their family and friends and encourage them to tap into the support systems both face-to-face and online. How did I go? Perfect. Wonderful. Liz, thank you so very much for joining us on Five Things. Thank you so much for having me. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. 
As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at 5thingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things 